That was good. Hopefully you enjoyed that. I appreciate those guys uh, giving their time to, to do that this week. Well, I don't know if you saw the movie Titanic or if you know much about the story. Maybe your view of the Titanic uh, or some of those famous quotes that come from it that I'll never let go, Jack, I'll never let go. And they could have both fit. I don't know if you've ever seen that. They actually could have both fit on that piece of wood, but that wouldn't have made the movie as as good, uh, right? I'm the king of the world, right? We, we've seen that movie. We, we know what happens in the Titanic. But what you may not know is that there were actually two ships not far from the Titanic when it sank. Uh, there was one ship, the Carpathia, uh, that was uh, captained by uh, Sir Arthur Rostron. 50 miles away, they begin to hear the Titanic after it has taken on water just to continually bang out an SOS call for help. They actually set off flares. And so 50 miles away, Carpathia turns its attention towards the Titanic. Uh, It has to navigate through an ice field. And three hours later, the Carpathia makes it to where the Titanic had sank. On the way, uh, the captain uh, orders them to to throw things overboard to make room for any survivors that there might be. Uh, They prepare prepare, uh, food and get ready to take on anybody. Uh, Ralston was motivated to believe that he could get there to rescue those from the Titanic. 50 miles away, it takes three hours to get there. 20 miles away was another ship, the California. And on the California was Captain Lord. And in this boat, there was hardly anyone on it. There was this thought that if the California would have turned and made its way to the Titanic, they would have been able to save hundreds, if not over a thousand people. They heard the same SOS message. They saw the same flares and they go down to wake up Captain Lord and he hears what's going on and he says, "Ah, I'm sure it's nothing. I'm sure it's nothing. I'm sure that it's flares going between two ships that are communicating. He goes back to sleep to wake up the next morning to find out that over 1,500 people had lost their lives in the sinking of the Titanic. Both of them hear the same information. Both of them get the same story. They both hear the call out for help. One is motivated to respond and the other isn't. I wonder if the captain of the Carpathia was motivated out of love. Because, after reading a little bit of this, there was this idea that he not only put himself, but the rest of his crew in danger. They said that they turned off anything they could to save power. That at one point, they even covered uh, the odometer. They covered everything they needed um, to get there. Anything that would tell them that they were going too fast because they didn't want anyone to slow the ship down. Because they knew that they had to get there to save lives. And so he was motivated. On the other hand, uh, Captain Lord, I'm not sure why he was motivated not to. Was it a fear? Was it a belief that it wouldn't matter? Was it the thought, as he explained, that nothing was really wrong. Both heard the same information. Both were motivated in different ways and had different responses. Uh, We're in this series called, uh, looking at a book in the Bible called Galatians, Jesus plus nothing. And we've paid very careful attention over the last several weeks at what we call the gospel. Uh, The gospel is the good news of Jesus. This idea that we're all broken, we're all sinners, we're all separated from God. But through God's love, that he's made a way for us to make it back to him through Jesus. And it's grace alone, this favor that we could never earn, that puts us in right standing with God. 
And so we have this guy named Paul who is writing this, but he's not writing it out of this idea. He's writing it out of his own story. This is really important. And I, and I think, hopefully you've gotten this picture over the last several weeks, that this is Paul's life. That, that Paul was killing Christians. I, I can't stress that enough. You guys hear me say that almost every week, but this is vital to understanding why Paul is writing this. He hated Christians. He thought Christians was, were against what he believed as a good Jew, as a good rule-following Jew. And so he literally got permission to go in and find Christians to persecute them, to put them in jail. This was Paul's story. But then all of a sudden, as we looked at week one, there was this but God moment where he was headed in one direction, but God got a hold of his life and a hold of his heart and changed his history forever. It changed the narrative of his story, but it also changed the history and the narrative for many other people. He then begins to help other people follow Jesus and he plants churches and he writes back to them. He encourages them, he challenges them, and he points out what's going on. And so we see in this letter that the Galatians, those who are following Jesus and believe that Jesus was enough at some point, have begun to believe in a different gospel because these people were coming behind Paul and saying, yeah, Jesus is great, but you really need to add to it. And anytime we add to Jesus, we are perverting the gospel. It's no gospel at all. So anytime we think we have to add to Jesus to earn God's favor, it could be adding church. And so we just show up in a place like this. We check the box and we think, well, that's a point for me. That God is now pleased with me or I, I put a little money in or I volunteered or I teach a Bible study, whatever it might be. If we are simply doing that because we think that will earn more of God's favor, then we've lost the gospel completely. It's no gospel at all. The good news is that it's Jesus and Jesus alone. And last week we looked at specifically this idea that, that Paul says the reason that we obey, the reason we want to follow the directions of God is because we are motivated by love, not fear. We are motivated by love, not fear. I was thinking about this as a dad. Uh, you may have known your dad's look, right? There are those times where my kids maybe are doing something and we're in public and I can't say something to them or I can't get to them and so I have a look, right? And your dad probably had the look. And the thing is, that look usually motivates our kids to do something out of fear, right? Because they know what could happen if they don't obey. The relationship with God as a good father is not motivated by fear. It's motivated because we believe in God's love for us. That God is the perfect father who wants the best for us. And so our obedience comes out of love. And so... We talked about how we've been set free and we've been set free from this fear-based behavior modification. So the only reason we change is because we're afraid of God. We're afraid of what God might do. And if we're honest, some of you at some point may have begun following Jesus simply because you are afraid of the punishment. You are afraid of hell. And so the response for some people is, man, I, I don't want to go to hell, right? And so the response to begin to obey and follow Jesus or to believe in God was based out of fear, not love. Um, there's a scripture in uh, 1 John uh, 4.18 It says this, there is no fear in love. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment, 
The one who fears is not made perfect in love. The writer of that is saying, look, if you're still in fear of what may happen, then you have not begun to understand the perfect love God may have for you or has for you. That when we begin to understand the love he has for us, then we obey. And so today is really just a continuation of last week's message. Uh, We saw this motivation of, of love and how if we're motivated by God's love, then the response is to love others. Right? It says that we would love our neighbors, that we would fight against the things that would separate us, but we would love because we have been loved. And so he's going to continue into talking about this uh, struggle that we have as we think about our, our lives. If you don't own a Bible, there should be a Bible around you somewhere. There's uh, a maroon Bible. That's our gift to you. Please take that if you don't own a Bible. Uh, if you want to look at that today, you can. The page number will be for that Bible. Looking at Galatians uh, 5, starting in verse 16. We'll read a couple of verses, and then I'll begin to break it down and teach it. It says this, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We'll stop right there. Paul is basically saying, specifically, if you're a follower of Jesus, there is this battle that goes on in your heart and in your mind. There's a battle that wages between what he calls the flesh or the sinful nature and the Spirit. Not just your Spirit, but the Spirit of God that dwells in you. That there is this battle that takes place. This battle that says, this is what I want to do. This is what's right. This is what's good. But there is this battle on the other hand that says, "Ah, maybe this isn't that big of a deal. The flesh that says, maybe we could pursue that just a little bit. I know it goes against what God wants, but so there is this battle that takes place in our hearts and our minds. But he says, the spirit of God leads us to do what is good and what is right. The things that God desires for your life and for my life. And that the Holy Spirit dwelling in us leads us and helps us to conform to the ways of Jesus. And the sinful nature, the flesh, is that which is opposed to God. It's the desire to do really what we want to do, when we want to do it. It's the part of our lives that have not been renewed by the love of God yet. And these two things are in conflict with one another. Uh, Paul, one of the most helpful verses to me, because uh, if you don't know, Paul writes a lot of the, the Bible. Uh, it's a lot of what, what we read and what we teach. Paul, uh, life was changed by God. And so it's not because it's about Paul. It's what happened in Paul's life. Uh, and so I, I am in awe of what God does through Paul. And so in Romans 7, uh, Paul makes these statements where he says, uh, for what I want to do, I do not do. And the things that I hate, I do. Does that connect with you? Paul is saying, look, there's these things I want to do in my life. There's these ways I want to treat people and and the purpose and to fulfill uh, not only my call, but to help fulfill the call of a community. Like those are the things I want to do and then I don't do them. Like there's these things that I hate that I find myself doing. Paul is just saying, look, there's this battle that takes place. There's this conflict in our hearts and in our minds. And it is this war that wages within us. He says that evil is right there with him, even though he delights in God's law. 
And he sees that these two things are working together. But then at the end of that, he says, what am I supposed to do? Who, who can deal with this wretched man? And he says, it's Jesus and Jesus alone. As we battle, we begin to understand that Jesus is the one that helps us. Little practical application. I've talked about this uh, in the past. I, I've tried to change my diet. Uh, in August, I, my wife and I had this crazy idea to just become vegans kind of all of a sudden. Um, and so we, we had started that diet and we were doing it for a long time. And then, and then we slowly thought, well, that's kind of hard. We'll just become vegetarians, right? So we'll begin eating a little bit more things. And so we'll become vegetarians. And so then we became vegetarians. And then about two weeks ago, I had a bratwurst. <laughs> yeah, I had a bratwurst and then everything kind of changed from there. Um, but here's what's, here's what's interesting. I've had meat a couple times since then. And every time, every time I, I sit down or I order or I get something, I tell myself, I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do it. And the reason I shouldn't do it is because my body has not had it in a long time. And my body kind of gets mad at me when I eat, uh, eat meat. And so I, I do. Last night, we celebrated my son's birthday. I sit down and, and I order a burger. I could have had a veggie burger and I would have felt great, but I, but I didn't. And the whole time I'm thinking, I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do this. The things that I know I should do, I don't do. Right? That's kind of a silly story, but man, there's those things, those bigger things in your life. We say, man, I, I don't want to do that. But we find ourselves doing it. And the things we want to do, it's hard for us to do it. And Paul says, in that conflict, in that battle, if you'll be led by the Holy Spirit, if you'll live by the Spirit, if you'll be directed and guided by the Spirit of God, he says, then you won't gratify the sinful nature and you won't be under the law. Now, here's what's interesting. He compares the two. He compares the sinful nature, the flesh, the things that we would do with under the law. And if you've been here in this series, under the law basically means I don't believe God's grace is enough, right? Under the law means I need to add some stuff to it. So he's comparing the two. He's connecting the two. And he says, that we are not being led or directed by the Holy Spirit, we have this battle with those two things. And ultimately, it means we're trying to be our own God. Whether you're under the, the law or you're satisfying the desires of your flesh, it ultimately means I want to be in control of my own life. I want to be the one who says, this is what I'm going to do and this is what I'm not going to do. So you're either motivated by the law or your flesh and in that motivation, there's this lack of trust and belief that God is enough. Not only that, but there's this lack of trust in the grace and the goodness of God. That we believe, yeah, man, I, I need these things in my life. I believe if I just had these things in my life, that everything would be okay. And it's this lack of trust that God is simply enough. It's a successive desire for something or someone in the hopes that it would save us. It would save us from the things that we want to get away from. It would save us in the sense it would give us purpose and fulfillment. It would satisfy everything that we long for. And so it's, what's hard to understand is that good things, even good things, can become sinful things when they become God things. This is what I mean by that. Your family, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, your spouse, if you're married, is a good thing. But if they are your savior... If you believe they'll satisfy you, that they'll never make any mistakes, if you think your kids' success will be what ultimately will give you all the satisfaction you have ever longed for, you have made them into a God thing. And the Bible uses the word an idol. 
We believe those things are better than even God. And so we, we don't really always trust that Jesus is enough, but those things will always disappoint. And even as I say that, and you know that, but we don't always believe it. We don't believe it. We're like, I, I, I know it disappointed last time. I know I felt shame and regret, and I told myself I would never do that again. But then we think, maybe this time. Maybe, maybe this time it will be the time that gives me what I need. And so Paul is saying, look, that spirit of God, the spirit of God is what helps us in those battles. See, because they're both making promises. God makes lots of promises to us that we can be free. But then we have these promises that are made to us, these empty promises that are made to us by our flesh. So we we have these ideas, well, I'm just going to do it this time. It will feel good. I'll feel loved if I do that. It's, It's no big deal. It's just once. Uh, Nobody will know if I just cut a few corners in my business. I deserve this. I've earned it. And so because of that, we give into it, thinking it will satisfy. But what it is, it's just a mirage. Now, I don't know if you know what a mirage is. It's an optical illusion that makes someone believe they're seeing a sheet of water, usually in a desert or on a hot road. And some of you who are uh, teach science and way smarter than me could explain why that happens. Uh, but all I know is, uh, I remember as a kid, you would watch cartoons, right? And, and they would be in the desert and they would see the mirage, right? And they would run to the mirage and they would dive into the mirage. And what happens? All they do is they take in a bunch of sand, right? And so it's this idea that we long for something that will refresh us and give us life and the things that we long for. And so we know what that is, right? We know what it is in our life. And so we think, man, if I could just... If I could just have that, right? And so ideally, this is what we long for. But what we do is we substitute. We we just substitute. We say, man, this is what will give me life, right? Without this, you die. You're thirsty. This is what you drink, right? And, And what Paul is saying here is, man, the Holy Spirit leads you to this while the flesh gives you this. Disguised as water disguised as something that will fulfill you and bring you life. And so for so many of us, we reach for this when this is available to us, the life-giving water. And so Paul says, look, you're always going to have this battle, and the battle begins to decrease as we are led and live by the Spirit, this conflict that happens in our hearts, this battle between what God wants for us and what we believe we need or want that battle that takes place begins to change as we allow and ask the Holy Spirit to do that. As we ask the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, to do that in our lives. Because we know what it's like when we give in to the mirage of something that will fulfill. And some of you are living your lives full of shame and regret, and I wish I wouldn't have, or I wish I won't. And so we live in that way. Let me just say, if you have been living that way, if you have believed that maybe you're too far gone, that you've done too much, just let me tell you that God's grace is available to you. Just like we look at Paul's life. I I don't know what you've done in your life, but Paul killed Christians. He killed people. Yet God, not by Paul's strength, but God says, no, 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 Paul. I I have something different for you. That God can do something in your life far greater than you could ever imagine. We all have this battle that we deal with. 
And so the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit begins to do is it begins to illuminate our hearts. It begins to point out the things in our lives that are not good. It begins to call out the things that say, yeah, I wouldn't do that. That's not going to lead to life for you or your family or at work or with your friends. No, 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 don't do that. The Holy Spirit will do that in our lives. Because what we have to understand is it's not just this external thing. It's not just an external thing. What we have to understand is it's a matter of the heart. I heard someone I was meeting with yesterday tell me this, and and I've said it, and maybe you've heard it before, but this idea that hurt people hurt people. Right, man, you've been hurt, I've been hurt, and often our response is then to hurt others. Right, and so we could fake it. We could fake it, and we could be nice to people, but, but internally, what is going on in our hearts? What leads you to want to, desi- to satisfy the desires of your flesh, whether it's lying or an anger issue or gossip or slander, what, whatever it is? Ultimately, it's what's going on in your heart. It's not just what's happening external. See, the external actions we see in our lives, decisions that we make are often just a diagnostic of what's going on in our heart. Right? So even if you change, even if you attempt to just be good, what Paul would say is, well, it's actually just a matter of your heart. And it's changing what's going on. Uh, Liam, uh, my in-laws who adopted this little boy's four, so he's my brother-in-law, uh, my four-year-old uh, brother-in-law. Uh, the other day he was at our house and he hit my son. And they're, they act like brothers and you know, they, they mess with each other. And so Liam, my four-year-old brother-in-law, hit my eight-year-old son. And, and so we saw it happen. And so I asked Liam, I said, did you, did you hit Cade? No, no. I didn't hit Cade. Okay, I saw you hit Cade, so I, I know you hit Cade. What do you think you should do, Liam? What do you think you should do? Do you think maybe you should say sorry? And so he, he kind of ignored me, and I had him sit down by me. And I said, Liam, it's always good to say sorry when you hurt someone. And Liam said, I'm scared, right? He said, I'm scared to say sorry. And in that moment, there was such deep meaning to me because what he was scared of was owning up to what he had done. Right? He, he just didn't want to admit that he had made a mistake. Right? So even in saying he was sorry, there was still something. I know he's four, but there's still something in him that, that didn't want to admit what was going on inside of him. And the same is true for you. The same is true for me. We, we may change externally, but what's going on in the heart? Paul says if you're led, if you live by the Spirit, the battle that takes place, it gets easier. Uh, listen, I think this is why Paul says what he does next. In verse 19, he says this, the acts of the sinful nature or the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I love it. Paul's like, it's obvious. You know what the things are that go against the ways of God. And and he starts there in the first with sexual things. So what happens with our bodies and how that matters? He talks about, secondly, he talks about religion. So when he talks about witchcraft or idolatry, he's talking about the things that take the place of God, the things that we think can act like Jesus and save us and rescue us. He then moves on to our attitudes, so our minds, so hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. He talks about those things and how those things ultimately will destroy relationships. 
So he says, look, if there's a relationship that's being destroyed, I bet if you went through this list, you might find what's going on. You, you might see your flesh or the sinful nature acting itself out and ruining and hurting relationships. And these are destructive attitudes. And what I think is interesting about the list that Paul gives here, the first few things, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, you would say, oh yeah, that's bad. No, 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 don't do that. With the first few, these are the ones that many of us would deal with that we wouldn't put on the same level. And Paul is saying they're both a part of our flesh and a part of our battle. And then he talks about addiction, so he references the abuse of alcohol, so drunkenness, and actually, uh, orgies here is actually has to do with drinking. So he talks about these things uh, of giving of oneself to something with the hope that it will deliver us from something else, believing that it could just mask or cover up the pain in our lives, this battle that takes place. So maybe that's not your thing, but maybe it's something else that you give yourself to in the hope of an escape or hope of joy, or of peace, or fulfillment, so maybe it's food. I'm learning more and more that in my anxiety, when I'm anxious, I turn more and more to food, right? If I could just eat some sugar, if I could just put something in my body, right? It's an escape, and we may not want to see food that way, but food works itself in that way, or intimacy, or money buying things, exercise. There are some of these things that it's just a way of escaping, and Paul says, look, that when you're satisfying the sinful nature or your flesh, you'll turn to those things, sometimes really good things that lead us away from God. Verse 21, it says, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. What he's saying is, and, and, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, the kingdom of God is more than just when you die, right? The kingdom of God is what's happening here and now. That if you didn't know this, God cares more about your day today right? He cares more about your day today than you could ever imagine. That he's not just hoping that, that you at some point accept him. And so when you die, you are with him. There's more to it. John 10, 10, he comes to give life and to give it abundantly, right? There's more to following Jesus than just punching a ticket. And so he says, look, when you're running after those things, you're not experiencing the kingdom of God. You're not experiencing everything God would have for you. So it's not just when we make a mistake and our flesh happens to win in that moment, but it's when we habitually go to those things, believing they will do something in our lives. All right, let's finish up. 522. It says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. It's interesting, Paul here doesn't say fruits of the Spirit. He says that there is a response. There is something that is produced in you. It is the fruit of following Jesus. It is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not fruits that you get to pick and choose. You don't get to say, eh, I like patience. I'll, I'll stick with patience. Uh, but gentleness, not so good. I'm not going to choose that one. Paul says when the Holy Spirit dwells in you, this is what is produced in your life. That we don't get to pick and choose. And here's just a few things. So um, tomato plant that's at my house 
um, that, that's been growing for, for quite some time. And if you can see, there's a few pieces of, of fruit. There's some tomatoes that are, that are growing on this plant. And if you've ever grown something, there's a few things uh, that happens. One is it's gradual. It is gradual. It amazes me that, that at some point the bud turns into a tomato and over time it grows. I can't see it right now, but there's something going on right here. There is life being poured into that tomato and it's being produced and it is gradual. And so let me just say this. I believe God is so patient with us. I think if our desire is to please God and to follow God, he is patient and he is willing to see us through. And this happens over time. And so something that might happen, maybe you're not very good at some of these things. Maybe you're not very patient. But maybe a year from now, something happens and you're like, man, I'm way more patient now than I was a year ago. I'm way more gentle now than I was a year ago. This is a gradual process, but something that we ask God to help us with. The second thing is it's inevitable. As long as the plant is healthy. If the plant is healthy, it will produce fruit. Fruit will be produced in your life if you ask for it. I truly believe that. I don't believe that God will say, no, no, no. I know you want gentleness. I know you want kindness in your life. I know you want to love others. I know that's what you want and your desire. I'm not going to give it to you. No, no, no. If you ask God to do that in your life, if you ask God to change you, I promise it is inevitable. You will produce fruit in your life. So your relationships will change. So if you're married or if you're dating, the relationships you have begin to produce a different kind of fruit. The fruit that is produced with your kids or coworkers or roommates or students, your teachers or teachers with your students. There is something that happens when you follow Jesus. But remember, the fruit doesn't save us. So if someone comes, they say, oh, you're the most loving person I've ever met. You're the most gentle or patient. That doesn't do anything in right standing with God. The only thing that does, as we've talked about, is Jesus and Jesus alone. The, safe, the, the, the fruit does not save us, but it is the result of following Jesus. And then the third thing with fruit is it's internal. It's internal, as I talked about earlier. It is something that happens inside of us. Something changes that allows us to be more patient, to be more kind, to be more gentle. Uh, the tomatoes here uh, don't um, make the plant alive that the tomatoes are there because the plant is alive. Because there are nutrients that go into this plant, it is producing a fruit. The roots are what are most important to this plant. The roots of your life is digging deep into what God wants for you. The roots of your life is learning about the ways of Jesus. It's doing this with one another. It's reading the scriptures on your own. It's being honest with someone to say, look, I am not patient. I'm not patient. Would you begin to pray that I'll be patient and you begin to build these strong roots and this strong foundation that produces a good fruit in your life? Just really quickly, so how is this fruit produced? We see here it's because you belong to Jesus. So if you haven't done that, if you've never given your life to Jesus, that is the first step. You belong to Jesus. He says those who belong to Christ Jesus, so that's the first, have crucified the sinful nature. We die to ourselves. We die to ourselves believing that God has a better way. We begin to pull apart the idols of our heart and our, of our life. And then we live and are led by the Spirit. So we are in prayer. You ask God to change those things in your life. It's not simply about trying harder or saying, I'm going to be kind or I'm going to be patient, but it's asking God to help you in those 
areas. Three tough questions I want to ask you. Maybe you want to write these down and you want to look at these this week. Uh, Number one, where do you see the flesh winning the battle in your heart? As you think about the battle or the conflict in your life, where do you see the flesh winning that battle in your life? And how are you living outside the ways of God? Where are you reaching for the mirage? What are you longing for in your life? And you're finding it at a place where when you get to it, you just get a mouthful of sand when you could be getting a life-giving water. Where is that happening in your life? What are the idols which you need to identify and destroy in your life? And how can Christ begin to replace them? So question two, what are the idols which you need to identify and destroy in your life? And how can Christ replace them? This is what I would encourage you to do. When you begin to see this, when you begin to acknowledge what some of those idols might be, would you tell somebody? Um, The the scriptures talk about how um, um, God gives us salvation. Um, but healing. When we confess our sins to God, we're forgiven. But when we confess to one another, we're healed, right? So no one else can save you just by telling them. But man, there is something healing that happens when you're able to say, can I just tell you where I'm struggling? So the second question, what are those things? And maybe who could you tell? And then the third one is, where do you see your life producing the fruit of the spirit? This is a good thing. Maybe ask someone, uh, where am I strong? Where where do you see the fruits of the Spirit being produced in my life? Greg's going to come up and finish this off um, with with the song that we we sing. I hope you will understand that as this battle takes place, that the enemy of God, the flesh, doesn't have to win. It doesn't have to win. That in those moments where it's difficult or it's hard, you can believe that the grace of God is enough. That the strength of the Holy Spirit is enough will allow you to resist those things of the flesh. Would you stand and pray with me as we uh, close with this song? God, thanks for today. Thanks for uh, these moments where we get to celebrate our fathers. Um, and, And in doing that, Lord, again, I'm thankful that you're a good father to us. Lord, as Paul says, there's those things in our lives that we want to do that we don't, and the things that we hate, we still do. Would you help those to change? Would you help us to have the strength to do the things that we know will bring life to us and those things that bring death and destruction and brokenness in our own hearts and brokenness in relationships? Would you help us not to do those things? Lord, I know it's only through Jesus's, uh, the power of Jesus, and it's only through the Spirit that we're able to do that. And then, Lord, would, would we see a fruit that is produced in our life? Would the people around us, Lord, even if they don't believe like we do, would they just see something different in us? That we do love well, that we are patient with people. Would you produce that in my life and in our lives as a community of faith? Lord, we need your help. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.